Hello listeners, welcome back to the Founders Club podcast. In this episode, my guest is Benjamin Danahy, who is an engaging sales speaker, interim sales director and sales trainer, who will explain that the barriers cemented within your selling process are, ladies and gentlemen, your parents' fault. Danahy brings antipody and brutality in charm to the sales experience many have never encountered before. His no-holds-barred presentation will educate, inspire, motivate, and help your salespeople understand why they struggle with many of their daily sales frustrations. So please, do enjoy this episode and subscribe to the Founders Club podcast. There is a bonus to this episode, so please do subscribe and become a patron of the podcast to get access. Thank you. Before we dive deep in our interview, just a small announcement. Now you can become a Patreon of this podcast. And as a member, you will receive exclusive content, community access, behind the scene updates, and the pride of fueling the work that matters to you. So go in the link on the show notes and make your small donation and become a Patreon of the Founders Club podcast. Thank you. Benjamin, welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Ah, thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. All right, so let's start right away and jump into our conversation. Um, why are you the most uh, hated sales trainer in the UK? Uh, is it about branding and positioning yourself? Uh, or there is actually a list of most hated sales trainers made by some evil people out there and you're on the top of that list. I wish there was. Uh, no, it, it, I get asked that question all the time. Why are you the most hated sales trainer? And it's simple. It's, um, it's made up. Uh, just like every brand is made up and every slogan is made up, you know, every, you know, we're loving it. McDonald's, that's made up. I mean, I, you know, so it's, it was made up. So what I did was when I first started out, I was trying to think of how I could market myself. And we're in a world full of noise, so much stuff out there. Everyone's screaming. They've got something new and something different. And I thought I had to stand out. So I, I sat on LinkedIn and I, and I noticed a pattern of all sales trainers and experts. And it was the fact that they all called themselves experts, gurus, leaders, professionals, number one, top achieving, global leader. And it's all this, look at me, look how lovely I am, look how wonderful I am, I'm so awesome. And I came to the conclusion, see, no one wants to be hated, they all wanna be loved. They all want to be admired and looked up to. So I figured, well, no one wants to be hated, which means no one is claiming that territory. And just like anyone who colonizes something for the first time, if you stick your flag in it and claim it, it's yours. And then all I had to do was occupy that space and scream loudly and no one could take it from me. So I don't think anyone could come along. Well, they could try. It'd be interesting. No, I'm more hated. Don't see how that works. So I created my own little world and then became the emperor of my own little world. And then I just pushed it. And the hardest thing, I'll be, I'll be honest about this, the, the most challenging thing when I first started this was 
whenever you go to a, a, an event, a sales event or a networking event, so when I first started, I had to do a lot of networking just like anyone in sales. The hardest thing would be actually standing up in front of a room full of people you've never met before. You have to introduce yourself and literally saying that line, hi, my name's Benjamin and I'm the UK's most hated sales trainer. It was so awkward because it's such an odd thing to say. But it got better. Then Trump came along, God bless Trump, and he bought this red hat. And I saw, and I thought, I'm nicking that. Make salesmen great again. I thought, I'll take that. And so um, the brand just uh, sort of developed, and I've stuck with it. Um, and the number of people, professional advertisers and marketers that have contacted me just to say, you know what, you've got a brilliant brand. I mean, it's just so different. It stands out. I go, well, that's it. So no, there's no international body that measures these things. Uh, it literally is something I made up and I love it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it lets me be me. It lets me be quite blunt when I'm dealing with people too. Yeah, I, I love it. It reminds me of the book uh, Positioning by Jack Rice. I think probably you've come across and... Uh, I haven't. I, I don't no. read a hell of a lot, believe it or not. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I would suggest you to, it's a very short book, but I would suggest you to figure out. But I think you don't need it at this stage anymore because you actually follow basically the stages and how to position yourself and claiming an unreported well, it's why I try and encourage salespeople not to spend a lot of time and money reading sales books because most of it's common sense. You don't need a book. You just got, it's not hard to figure most stuff out. Um, it's, it's, it's intellectually, it's easy to figure. It's easy to figure out how to grow a brand. The hard thing is doing it. And like anything in life, it's not hard to be a golfer. I mean, it's quite obvious you swing a stick and hit a ball. It's doing it consistently to get good at it. So right. yeah, no, no. People over-intellectualize stuff that's just bloody obvious. I've been, I've been watching a lot, uh, some of your content in prep for this interview. And uh, one of the counterintuitive things that uh, I've noticed is, and one of the principles that you also have adopted is that actually you don't have to be liked in order to sell something to somebody. Correct. And what Correct. you do have to seek is actually to build trust. How do you build trust with someone who doesn't like you and later on sell to that person? How do you build trust with someone that doesn't like you? It's easy. Um, how, how, well, let me ask you a question. Do you have to like your lawyer to trust they'll do a good job? Do you have to like your doctor to trust that he can prescribe the right medication? Do you have to like your surgeon or your... You don't actually have to like anyone. What you've got to do is trust that they can help you. And how does a doctor or a lawyer make you feel that you can trust them? Very easily. They ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. And if they're able to ask you questions you don't know the answer to about your world and your problems, then automatically by default, this guy must know more than me. I may think he's a complete tosser, but he's actually very good at what he does. And I'm not hiring a friend. I'm not looking for a counselor. I'm looking for someone that's going to represent me in court or is going to operate on me or is going to fix my ailment. I don't need to like them. I need to trust them. So there's a lie. Don't get me wrong. Being liked helps. It helps get you through the door and stuff like that. But it's, it's secondary. So it's a nice to have. It's not a must have. Let's put it this way. If there were two salesmen, both selling exactly the same product, exactly the same price to exact same person, the only difference was whether or not they felt more comfortable or like the other guy. That may be the only time that it plays in. But 
It's also possible in the exact same scenario that they say, well, I don't really like salesman A, but I'll be honest, I think he asks the better questions and I, I, I just feel he understands this better. Even though I don't like him, I think he could help us. So no, being liked isn't necessary. And most salesmen have this desire to be liked, to be neat, wanted, to be loved. And I say that's bollocks. And uh, it's hard for many people to swallow, but it's true. So one of the shortcomings is that probably salespeople don't ask the right question to come across right. as someone who may be a doctor within his industry, whatever he does, to actually understand the pain of the patient, in this case, which would be the prospect, isn't it? Yeah, well, you've you got to flip the script. So think about it. Most sales would go into a sales meeting and they'd be, say they're meeting with a CEO of a company, right? They get to the top. And the CEO, CEOs are all very confident people. They're successful people. They know what they want. And they, they're very, they've got a good self-concept. So you come in and they sit you down. They go, look, thanks for coming in, Benjamin. I'll tell you what, why don't you start? Why don't you explain a little bit about your company and what it is you think you could do for us? And a lot of salesmen will go along with that. Now, now flip that. Imagine going to the doctor and you as the patient sitting down. And then saying to the doctor, look, doctor, before we start, why don't you tell me a little bit about your training, your medical history, and what you think you could do for me by the end of this consultation? And the doctor would look at you and say, what the hell have you been smoking? That's not how this works. Right. So a professional doesn't have to justify or defend or pretend to be anything to anyone. His job is, look, You've come to me, you may have a problem. Well, I've invited myself in, but you've let me come here for a reason. My job is to diagnose what that problem is. And if there's something I can fix, I'll then discuss what the solution looks like. But this isn't me coming and try and win you over. Not at all. So yeah, that, that's why they don't do it. They don't ask the tough questions because they're scared of upsetting someone. Because if you upset someone, they might not like you. And if they don't like you, they may not buy from you. So why would I do that? Yeah, it's this uh, risk of upsetting someone or also being afraid of taking ever, taking that no or seeking that no. So I noticed that when you are prospecting via cold calling, you're deliberately seeking for the no's or at least sure. give your prospects room to say no. But you yes. also are aware of the yeses. And I think this is really important because many salespeople are all... All they are looking for are, are those yeses. So why is it important to seek the no and to be aware of the yeses? Well, it's simple because there are more reasons for someone not to buy from you than there are to buy from you. So my job is to eliminate the people that are going to be no's quickly because the yeses are in there. It's just a matter of getting to them. So I look at selling, or let's use COVID as an example. Let's say I've got the cure for COVID. I figured it out. I know how to cure it. The last thing I want to do is talk to people that don't have COVID. What's the point? They don't need my product. So there's no point in me phoning someone up and saying, hey, my name's Benjamin. I've got the cure for COVID. Can I come and see you? And he goes, well, I, I don't really have COVID. I don't know anyone that's got. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you probably will at some point. Would it not just make sense to understand a little bit more about the cure? Uh, not really. Oh, look, I, look, I'm fine, thanks. Oh, really? So you're not scared again? This is ridiculous conversation. Right. So I'm the opposite. I'm looking for people that would have COVID. And so rather than phone up and get into a discussion trying to convince them they should talk to me about COVID, I phone up and say, hey, you don't happen to have a, um, 
high fever, a cough that won't go away, and achy joints. And if they say yes, I go, hmm, maybe we should talk a bit more. If they say no, I go, fine. I'm going to move on to the next guy. So just because I exclude someone in the moment, it doesn't mean they're off my list. It just means this guy right now doesn't have a symptom of COVID. I'll phone him back in three weeks. He probably will if his neighbor's got it. Right. That's it. And so salespeople think that their job is to phone up everyone and everyone just say, yes, come and see me. I'm interested to learn what you have. If everybody said that, nothing would get done. I don't want to meet people that don't need what I have. I want to find people that say, I do have those symptoms. It may be COVID. It could just be the common flu, but I actually don't know. Maybe we should have a chat. And then I go in and I diagnose, is it COVID or is it just the flu? And if it's just the flu, I say, I can't help. If it's COVID, you're in luck I called. It's very simple yeah. stuff. Yeah, it sounds simple, but yeah. all, most salespeople, me included, I'm, I'm probably guilty of that as well. Uh, not having the right I'll training. tell you why. When, you, when, when most salesmen pick up the phone, they only have one focus, and that is the outcome of the call. I want an appointment. I want a meeting. I want to sell. So because they're attached to the outcome, they're not actually looking at what they're doing in order to get to the end. And mm -hmm. if your whole fixation is on what's going to happen, you're not looking at what you're doing to get there. I'm interested in how I get to someone say no or how I get to someone say yes, because then I can work on getting that process better and streamlined and more effective. And because I know there is more reasons for people to right. tell me no, I'd rather get that no earlier than spend an hour traveling to see someone and an hour talking to them an hour back, three hours out of my life. Right. If I just had the courage to figure out, do you really, really have symptoms of COVID? Yeah. So overlooking that uh, process, it's process. The, the, the mistakes we as salespeople do or yes. whoever does sales, isn't it? Yes. You're focused on the outcome and prospects know that. That's why they think you're selfish, greedy and uninterested because they know the only reason you're there is to try and get them to say yes. So when you try and get them to say no, believe it or not, it's actually hard to get prospects to say no if you really try. Right. When, when I think you, you have this saying I, I've heard in one of your videos, which I really uh, kind of liked, and you say, we buy emotionally and justify it logically. And I think yes. it goes when you're trying to sell, you, you, you said in one of your you know, video content that when you're selling something to a prospect, I'm curious to know how do you move from a logical standpoint and appeal to the emotional one? Because I'm doing what I'm, and I'm for sure I'm wrong. It's trying to appeal to the logical side of it, overlooking yes. the emotional side of the cell. Yeah. So I'm not connecting the forebrain and the hind brain, right? How do you do this transition smoothly? Well, it's just like a, a good lawyer or a good psychiatrist. They're able to get people emotional. How do they do it? They ask questions, design. They're not interested in selling you the legal service or selling you the product. My job is to figure out what's really going on. You've come to me and said you're having terrible nightmares and you're wetting the bed. So those are the symptoms. So I could, give, I could prescribe nappies and drugs to help you go to sleep. And if you do piss yourself, you won't wet your bed. That is a solution. But that's not going to fix your problem. Right. So what is your problem? Why are you having these nightmares? And so then we, do, we start to ask the right question. So, so when did this first start happening? How long has this been going on for? What happened in your life 
immediately around the first time this happened for this to, 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 to suddenly, can you think of anything? And then what have you done to try and fix it? Did any of that work? Okay, how does this make you feel then? How's this impacting you on a day-to-day -day life? And then they say, embarrassing, it's humiliating, I feel sick, it makes it, now we're getting emotional. So why, if you've been doing this for six months, have you waited this long to come and see someone? Well, I was hoping it would fix itself. Right. That's interesting. So, so logic will come once I understand why they need what I have. So no one buys sales training because their figures are low. Why do they buy it? Why do they buy? Because when I dig beneath the service, the surface, most people are worried that they're not going to get their bonus and they've already spent it. They're worried about putting their kids through private school. And if they don't achieve certain results, they won't get it. They're worried about their exit strategy because they wanted to sell the company in five years. But if this right. carries on, that's not going to happen. The sales figures are symptomatic. But the real problem, no, why am I really here? And then they start, and my job is to get them there. And they have to admit, like I had a call yesterday with a company. And what we came to the conclusion, very easy, was he has absolutely no pain. He goes, no, I know I have no pain. I go, so why are we talking? And he goes, it's funny. He goes, I knew you were going to bring He goes, I'm not in pain. I want someone to stop me getting in pain. Okay. And I see you as someone that can prevent us getting there. Ah, so I, uh, that's where I wanted to get him because there are five reasons that motivate a human being to buy. Pain in the present. So a toothache. Mm -hmm. A gashing open wound. Your car gets hit by another car. That's pain in the moment. You'll pay anything to fix that problem now. So that's pain in the present. That's the most powerful. Then you have pain in the future. So that's when you see a problem coming and you think I should act now. That's what insurance is all about. All right. Yeah. Then you have pleasure in the present. So buying an ice cream on a hot sunny day, you're willing to queue up to buy an ice cream on a hot sun. You won't do that in the middle of winter. Yeah. So pleasure in the present pleasure in the future. So that's, uh, coming to the end of summer and all of a sudden all the jet skis get knocked down half, uh, half price. So I can't use it now. Winter's coming. I'll, I'll buy it anyway and I can use it next summer. Or curiosity. General people buy stuff. Just oh, That looks interesting. I'll give it a go. Those are the five reasons why people buy. Right, Most so of us in business are in the pain business though. Either pain now or pain in the future. Right, so so my job is to figure out what is their pain how big is their pain? And is that pain big enough for them to want to invest time and money to fix? If it's not, it doesn't matter how wonderful my solution is. Okay, perfect. So the most urgent will be pain in the present or pain in the future? Pain in the present is the most powerful. Okay. That's so I'll give you an example. If I, if I talk to an MD and he says, my biggest problem is my guys don't prospect. I go, well, what do you mean? What do you mean they don't prospect? He goes, well, you know, I, they're just reluctant. They, they're not willing to pick up the phone. They find every excuse. And I go, well, how long has this been going on? And they go, oh. <laughs> well, I'd say it's been going on, you know, ever since we've been in business. I go, but you're a fairly new business. No, no, we've been around about four years. So are you telling me for the last four years, your sales guys have struggled to pick up the phone? Pretty much. And I go, I'll be honest with you, that does doesn't sound like a problem. That sounds like a lifestyle. If you can put up with something for four years, that isn't a problem. And then they argue with, no, 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 it is a problem. Why? Well, we, we've tried fixing it. It hasn't worked. See, now, now he's starting to build himself up emotionally. 
So I have to get them to acknowledge it emotionally hurts them. It's not enough for someone to say, I have a prospecting problem. Oh, don't worry about it. I, I can show you how to fix that, sir. And let me show you how I can do that. That's not enough. The guy's got to convince me it hurts him enough that he's going to do something. And if someone said they've had it for four years, you're really going to have to work hard to convince me because I've never had a toothache that lasted four years. I, I wanted to, to follow up with another question related yes. to pain and selling. So many people now say, well, maybe it's not the best time to sell now given the, the situation we're in. That's what loses. Many com companies struggle. So what is your take on that? Is it the right time to sell or is it the right time to prospect now? Or well, let me, let's, let's flip the question. Can you tell me when is the right time to sell? <laughs> well, uh, probably never is the right time to sell. <laughs> then there's never a wrong time to sell, is there? Right. Nothing changes. Yeah? You know, in the tough times, there are two types of salesmen, winners and losers. The winners are still out selling because people are still spending money. People are still investing in things. Decisions could be delayed. I'm not going to lie about that. There will be some things that will be put on hold. And friction. But I've sold throughout COVID. I've picked up new clients throughout COVID. I sold boot camps, which I'd never done online before. 21 of them since COVID kicked. Oh, wow. All of them filled. Over 250 people have gone through the boot camps. All sold. So, no, you either adapt, overcome, and survive, or you sit there sucking your thumb put the victim script on and blame the world for your failure. In fact, I think COVID's been a good reset button because a lot of companies have probably come to the conclusion, I don't know what our sales guys did because without them, we've still managed to coast by. So there's going to be a lot of readjustment because most salesmen are order takers anyway. So uh, uh, if you can automate order taking, you don't need salesmen. So the best survive as was with anything in life. The strongest and the fittest will beat COVID. Strongest and the fittest will survive in sales. That, that, that's all it is. This is Darwinian just a natural It's a typical Darwinian selection. It is. It, it, it is. It is survival of the fittest. It, it, it's a pretty good concept. Talking about uh, performance and uh, we talk about COVID more broadly, what do you think is the most common excuse that many salespeople make to, to justify their poor performance despite COVID, let's say, more broad. Oh, well, if, I, I often write about this in every MD. So it, it, when it comes to prospecting, there, there's like a, uh, it, it's almost like the five stages of grief. So the first thing they blame is the data. The data's crap. The data's poor. Wow. Then they say, I just can't get through to people. Then they say, nobody's interested. Then they say, we need better collateral to email to people. Then they say, our competition keep undercutting us. Then they say, the product uh, isn't quite as good as... They never actually get to the point where they say, huh, I think I'm crap. It's isn't, there, isn't there any truth? Like in, let's say, I'm coming from a tech world, right? Yeah. So what we're thought or at least what's the mantra in the tech world is like if if you have to when you build a tech product you have to reach product market fit what does it that mean there is like some research means that 40 percent especially even b2 uh, b2c 
if there is like a 40% of your customers, let's say you have 100 clients, uh, yeah. people who use your product and at least 40% of them, you ask, how would you feel if you will not use, not be able to use anymore my product? And they say, I'll really feel disappointed. And then you reach product market fit. And that's where you say, okay, this product, it's good and performing. And then you like, kind of like reinforce that self-belief that people like this product, the product is good. Whereas if you don't reach that benchmark, your product is not that good, right? So to what degree, uh, where is the truth here? Like, is it the product sometimes justifies a poor performance or like a bad product justifies a poor performance or is not? If you've created a product that doesn't actually fix problems, it's a stupid product, isn't it? It's very simple. Obviously, it's very simple. If you created something that doesn't fix problems that people out there in the world have that you identify, so you're sitting down, you're thinking, how, I don't know how people create tech products, but let's say you're sitting there thinking, I want to create a tech product, what should I create? Then you think, well, I, I know what I'll do. Why don't I find out what pisses off marketing directors when it comes to marketing CRM systems? And then you figure out all the things I hate about what's going on in their life because of what's happening with not having a CRM system or they're using some other existing CRM system. And once you figure out the things that they hate, you then create the product that fixes those things. You then phone up people and ask them, do you hate X, Y, and Z? And it's actually funny you should say that. We do have those. Well, if I could show you a way to eliminate all that, what would you do? Well, then we'd meet with you. Well, then let's do that because I've got a product that eliminates all of that. Once you see it, you'll probably want to buy it, won't you? Probably. That's, that is it. So the problem is, is most sales uh, uh, people create a product. And it's like their firstborn baby. And the assumption is, because I love it, everyone else will love it. No, it's yes. just another bloody baby. I've seen a million, there's nothing special about your kid. Yeah, so they go in trying to convince people of how beautiful and wonderful their kid is. Yeah, I get it, mate. But I've seen 30 babies this month. I don't see anything different in your baby. How's this going to help me? How does this make my life better? Well, it does this, it does. I don't need any of that. Talking about... Uh hiring good salespeople, what oh, are luck with you that. looking at? Or how do you hire a, sales, a good salesperson? What are the indicators to say, okay, this is the guy that has potential or that I can work uh, to improve and can make a good salesperson? What are those indicators that you look at if you have to? Well, okay, it's a good question. So uh, when people hire salesmen, well, let's, 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 let's go even a bit, bit earlier than that. Most people hate recruitment. They hate recruiting. It is a pain in the ass. It is something that gets in the way of you doing your proper job. So recruiting isn't usually given the level of respect that it deserves. And when it comes to recruiting salesmen, because the plethora of stuff that you get is pretty bad, it's pretty uninspiring, after about 10 interviews, you're at the point where you say, you know what, anyone that's remotely competent is going to do. You know, I've had enough. I can't stand talking to these muppets. So some guy comes in and he looks smart. He's eloquent. He speaks well. He's quite affable. And you think, you know what, let's give him a shot. He seems all right. That's how it's done. And they look at skills, experience, and result. Those seem to be the things people focus on do you have skills or set your experience uh, and talk me through your previous results at your previous company hey, here's a here's a here's a true fact there is no legitimate reason for a salesman to be looking for a new job unless he's moved to a new city right 
So in terms of why would a salesman quit so, his job at his hometown if he's any good? So if so, let's say if he moves to a new town and he's looking yeah. for a new job, what would be the skills that you as a salesperson? No at? skills. Skills no. are irrelevant. Skills can be learned. You see, skills don't tell me anything right. about somebody. What, is it? So what, what, what you want to look for are habits, behaviors, beliefs, cognitive abilities. Cognitive what? ability is the ability to learn on the job and learn new things. Great. If you can learn stuff, I don't care what your knowledge base is. It means you're going to be able to pick stuff up. So that's important. So you need to have uh, tests that you can see, can someone learn something new? So that's important. So cognitive ability is key. Habits and behavior. Human beings are creatures of habit. What they did yesterday, they'll do today and they'll do tomorrow. So when somebody says to you, oh, I don't mind prospecting. All right, fine. Talk me through your current prospecting habit. What does it look like? How do you do it? How do you fill your pipeline weekly, monthly, and quarterly? Talk me through your prospecting call, the structure. Can you describe to me the structure you follow whenever you make a prospecting call? And what happens is you get these guys, they, they can't give an answer. Oh, hold on. So you've told me that you do this all the time. You're incapable of explaining to me how you do it. So I imagine asking a surgeon who specializes in heart surgery, could you explain to me that particular, how you do that operation? You go, absolutely. I could talk you through every step. You ask a salesman, he says, oh yeah, I do these all the time. Talk me through a prospecting call. What do you mean? Well, how do you structure it? Well, you know, I, I like to go. <laughs> so habit, because habit is a predictor of future behavior. So that's what, beliefs. How often do you ask a salesman, what do you believe is a lot of money? Right. What do you believe your role is as a salesman? What do you believe? What are your rights? Do you know what your rights are as a salesman? So when you're sitting opposite a prospect, what are your rights that you guard and you won't let them and violate? They go, well, what do you mean? You see, you see, if you, if whenever, what do you, you, have you ever thought about any of this? So you sit in front of a prospect and he says something like, well, tell me how you can help. What do you believe in that precise moment you're allowed to do or say? Well, I'd start to explain. So why are you justifying and defending? Uh, well, because why are you answering my questions now? <laughs> are you feeling pressure? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Do you feel obligated to me? And, and so I, I start to see how weak they are. So look, if this is how you're behaving in this sales meeting to convince me to hire you, this is how you're going to be in the real world. You're going to get bulldozed and railroaded. You're weak. Right. If you don't handle pressure. Hey, you, you can't handle pressure. If you can't problem. handle being challenged. And so if they just keep answering my questions, I know they don't know the, uh, they know they don't have, they don't know they don't have the right not to answer a question right they've got to challenge me how yeah how do you change because behavior beliefs and habits it's something that is not you magically change no it's something called hard work plan. and effort how do you become a professional golfer you don't just wake up one day and you're there uh it's six hours a day five days a week rain or snow or sleet how do you become a professional swimmer every morning, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., swimming lengths, Monday to Saturday, one day off, restrict diet regime? It's not, well, I read a couple of books by Olympic swimmers on how they made it, and I've done a bit of it. I'll be there. No, right. hard work. How do you change belief, habit, and behavior? Identify you've got bad ones. 
figure out what you've got to do to stop them, find new behaviors and habits that are better and do them over and over again until they become a habit. Right. This requires a level of ruthlessness, truth with your own self. And I guess probably myself, I think sometimes lack of this. Is there a way to be more ruthless with yourself and question your own beliefs? Yes. That you came up across? Stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself this question. Do I really want to be a salesman? Do I? (laughs) Ask yourself that. You see, because I'll be up front with you 95 percent of people in sales are not there by design it's by default no one wanted to be a salesman at school this isn't what they wanted for their life but what happened was is they they grew up and reality kicked in and they needed a job and who's hiring sales so they get a job in sales and they have some success and they get stuck because they realize after about three or four years of doing this what else am i going to do with my life i've got no other skills So then they're just stuck in this rut and they just churn and they do the same thing over and over and over again until they die. Yeah. Or they're playing the lottery, hoping to win because when they win, they're just going to run off and buy that bar in Hawaii and and live the life of Riley. So the problem is, is most people who are in sales never intended to be there. But you talk to most people who are lawyers or doctors. How did you? you become a lawyer or a doctor that it's oh well, you know i kind of fell into it actually i never really wanted to do that i woke up one morning and thought yeah well i saw an advert brain surgeon wanted and i thought yeah i'm giving it a go no well i i spent seven years at medical school then i did my residency then i specialized not i did a three-day course on brain surgery thought it seemed good bought myself a white coat said all right i'm in i'm one so this is why most salespeople don't get good because deep down they don't want to be there. And if you don't want to deep down be doing something, why would you spend a lot of time, money and pain getting really good at it? Yeah. So you obviously got really good at it. And yes, I want to do it to the day I die. Excuse me? Because I want to do it to the day I die because I, I'm a former lawyer and I figured out that selling is just, like law it's all about getting to the truth asking hard tough challenging questions and believing that everyone's lying to you right so that's actually what i wanted to to ask you how did you end up in sales have you watched yourself in the mirror and ask do i really want to be in sales or it's something that i needed a job okay So I, yeah, so so when I tell these stories, people say, gosh, you're horrible. You've got such a cynical view of, no, I'm telling my story because it's repeated millions of times around the world. I came to England to do some travel as a lot of people do. I, at some point I worked in pubs and eventually I thought I better get a proper job. I can't keep doing that. Who was hiring? Sales. I thought, well, I'll give it a go. I'm intelligent. I can speak well. I polish up all right in a suit. I should be fine. Go in. I can talk my way around any interview. And yeah, yeah, well, you see, yeah, you, you've seen like you've got the basic stuff. You're in. Voila. Now yeah. a salesman. And I realized though, I realized, I, so I specialized purely in prospecting. That was what I did. I did business development, telephone prospecting. And I was actually naturally very good at it. So um, sells I, I was natural. actually very good at it. Pardon? Sells, then it's something you 
you're born like as a skin? No, or, like, no, 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 no. This is this is where I'm going. So I remember one day, uh, one of my clients. So I decided to go out. I I started off working in recruitment. I sucked at recruitment. I got no. I didn't recruit anyone actually. I spent six months and I didn't recruit a person. I was the worst recruiter they had. But what they noticed was that I was good at getting appointments. So they gave me a new job of just setting up appointments for real recruitment consultants. Mm-hmm. So. I ended up getting poached by a company that specialized in setting meetings up for advertising agencies in the London. I didn't know anything about advertising. Uh, and I figured out, well, I didn't figure out, I got the job and all I had to do was set up appointments with marketing directors for these guys to go and talk to. And I was quite good at it. And after a while I thought, well, why don't I just go out my my own and do this. Why am I working for this company? Why don't I just phone my, find my own advertising agencies and offer this service directly? which is how I did it. And then one day, one of my clients, the CEO of an advertising agency said to me, he goes, you know what, Benjamin, we've used a lot of these business development companies, the outsourced lead generators, mm-hmm. and we've hired people in the past. He goes, he goes, but I'm going to be honest, he goes, you're the best person we've ever had. Why are you so good at what you do? Do you know why? <laughs> I said, no. He goes, you see, he goes, he goes, if you could figure out why, he goes, I think you'll make a lot of money. And then I started thinking, that's a very good proposition. Why am I good? Why? 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 And then I started to realize there were certain things that I were doing. And then when I started to look into the psychology of humans and selling, I thought, oh, that's why that works. And so when I knew why something worked, before I was doing it out of ignorance. Now I could do it deliberately and purposefully. And that is what process is all about. Once you understand what works, even if you discover it by mistake, you know, oh, now if I do it deliberately and consciously and on purpose, consistently, this should consistently work. And that's, and that's what I did. And that's how I, I do that. And I, I met some great sales trainers in my time who gave me advice and coaching. Um, and they fed into things and they gave me tips. And all I did was start doing stuff that people said you should do that would make you get good rather than just reading about it and, you know, academically acknowledging it. I said, well, why don't you just do the stuff? So everything I teach is stolen. Right. I haven't, I haven't made, I haven't created anything. I, I've just had the ability to do stuff, but didn't know why it worked, figured out why that worked and understood it. They thought, sod it. I'll just keep doing it then. Yeah, and now I am a true capitalist. I've taken everybody else's stuff, made it my own, and I sell it. Right. It took a high level of uh, self-awareness, I guess, to identify why you were good at what you were doing and then kind of like creating a process. And, yeah. uh, and like I said, I've had help. Like I said, I haven't created this. Everything I teach, if you follow me, you'll see bits of Spin, Sandler, Myers-Briggs, Dis- it's all from over the place. Yes. And that's why people get it. And it's like, it's so obvious. And all I've done, and I think what gives me credibility is everything I teach, I do. So I'm not an academic teacher. I think a lot of sales trainers are incapable of actually doing what they teach. They're like theoretical physicists. Right. Talking about sales trainers, what is the Mm. advices, common advices that they give and you think are like kind of counterproductive or actually are useless. Oh, a lot of, a lot of sales training advice is useless. I remember sitting in on another sales trainer 
for another company once. And the woman actually said, it's the rule of three. And I thought, I've never heard of this. She goes, 30% of people will always buy from you. 30% of people could buy from you. And 30% of people will never like you. And I sat there thinking, well, what the hell is that base? That is just, if there's no substance or science behind that, how can you, how, that makes no sense. I couldn't even figure that out. So what she's saying to this room full of people is, don't worry. <laughs> and they don't teach you anything about you. They focus on, you should say this, you should say that, you should do this. But they never go deeper and say, actually, this is the reason why it works at a psychological level. If you say this, they will do this. And if they do this, then you will do it. They don't do that. They just teach trite. It's all very fluffy and not. I, don't, I, I actually, to be honest, I, I honestly don't know what people, other people teach. Right. It's weird. So be aware of the fluffy stuff out there. That the fluffy stuff. Anything that doesn't hold up the ugly mirror and make you realize that you're the problem isn't training. What, uh, last question, uh, what are yeah. the three tips for salespeople out there listening to this right now? One, nobody cares about you or your product, so shut up talking about it. Hard to believe, but when you're in a sales meeting, they are not interested in you or what you do. Right. Just like a therapy session with a psychiatrist. I don't actually care about the psychiatrist. <laughs> I want him to help me. And the problem with most salesmen is I go into a meeting thinking this is all about putting on a great show and convincing someone of the merit. Wrong. That's wrong. Second one, don't be attached to the outcome. The reason why salespeople fail is because they're focused on getting a meeting or getting a sale. And then they behave as someone who's trying to get there. And when you behave like that to someone objectively watching you, you look like a typical greasy, slimy, dodgy salesman. It is obvious you don't care about me or where we're going. You just care about where you're trying to get. Don't do that. The, the Buddhists have a saying. Do you know what the root of all misery is? No idea. Attachment. Okay, I'll, attachment to the outcome. So be outcome independent. So, so if you, if you know, you've got a friend. Everyone has a friend who hates their job. I hate my job. It's awful. You say, "Well, quit." No, I need the money. Then sh shut up. Yeah, <laughs> attachment is the root of all misery. If there's anything in your life that's making you miserable, it's you're holding on to something. If you let that go, the misery goes with it. But some people don't want to let go of their misery because they love their misery. Yeah. So it's attachment. Our identity. Isn't yeah, it? it? It is. It's a victim script. And a lot of salespeople are attached to, I've got to get a meeting, got to get an appointment, got to get a sale. Attachment will always screw you up. So that's the second one. And what's the third one? Oh yeah, this is an important one because this is probably one of the biggest lies that is out there that annoys me. You hear all this crap about just be you. Be your authentic self. That is the biggest amount of baloney out there. If you just be you, you're going to fail more than you're going to win. If you're sitting across from a CEO who's a high D, ball-breaking, short, sharp clip to the point, you better be able to mirror and act just like him because he will not give you any respect if you're unable to act on his level or be like him. Right. You see, the people don't buy people. People buy people like them. Right. Big difference.
Right. And if, you're if not like you them. are not like them, they won't probably buy from you. So you cannot be you. If you are in front of a CEO, you need to act like a CEO. If you're in front of some wet fish, you need to act like a wet fish. If you're in front of something that's all touchy-feely, you need to be touchy-feely. You give them the personality that makes them more comfortable with you. If you go in and be you, you're going to lose more than you ever win. So selling is a West End show played by a psychiatrist. You've got to be a good actor and you've got to understand psychology. You get those two together and it's showtime. And I love this tip. And I'll add the fourth one. Please do go and pick up the phone and start calling your prospects. And if you don't know what is the process, how to do it, call Benjamin and he'll give the proper training to do that. If you're too chicken to pick up the phone to call me, then you're screwed. <laughs> thank you very much for joining the founders club podcast it was a blast to have you on thank you i've enjoyed it it's a pleasure thanks